you know, outside of it saying it on the box, this is not my natural hair color, you know? And people are like, oh my God, is that your natural hair color? I'm like, no. Yeah, it's beautiful though it is. I mean, nobody is born with hair that color. Nature didn't create this, right. And then the next thing <laughs> they're like, do you do it yourself? And I'm like, also no. Does it look like I dye my hair myself? Like, it's just this wild, like, but what a great conversation starter, hey? <laughs> I also gave myself a boob job. Yeah, right. Are those real? No. Yeah, they are. Gina <laughs> just wants to talk about her boobs. Welcome to the Women Your Mother Warned You About. I'm just going to go ahead and jump in kind of roguish to this show that is sponsored by Sales Gravy. And today our guest is Christina Brady and I'm Gina Tremarco and Susanna Gray-Jones is also here. Uh, Susanna and I both work for Sales Gravy and we're just going to go, just go right into it, Christina. going to go right into it. Uh, I hope you don't mind that, Susanna. That's what I'm feeling like right now because I have two pots of coffee going in me right now. So I'm wired and fired. Let's go. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Two pots of coffee? Well, you know what? They're little pots. They are... Tiny um, pots, like a mug? Like two like, mugs? <laughs> like, what are they called? A French press. I do French oh, press. Well, that's, a, you know, those can hold like three, four cups. I love it. I love the energy. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are so chuffed to have you. We chuffed. are so chuffed. Chuffed. <laughs> we are so chuffed. I am so chuffed to have Susanna as my new co-host going in our third season here uh, because she's teaching me all kinds of English words that I never used before. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Uh, you, you're on this show with us, Christina. Um, did anybody warn you about the show? Did you listen to any episodes? Listened to a few, but did not get any warnings. If anything, I just got okay. a, you have to be on this show. So maybe, okay. I don't know, maybe, maybe at the Perfect. end there's, there's a threat to not warn, but I'm excited. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah. Perfect. That, that is awesome. Christina, before we get into it, uh, cause we just kind of run with it and improvise quite a bit. Great. Done a little research on you. We do know you a little bit, but for the purpose of our audience to give them just kind of a quick, um, glimpse of who you are. Can you just give us a, a, a real quick who you are? I hate the word elevator pitch. So I'm not going to say that, but who, who are you? Where do you work? A uh, little bit about you. Yeah. Um, always starting with the name, even after you say it, because it doesn't feel natural unless you do that. So I'm Christina Brady. I'm the chief strategy officer of a company called Sales Assembly. We help partner with uh, B2B SaaS tech companies, and we help them scale um, on an individual employee level, even though it's kind of company membership and everything that goes along with that. So a lot of my work that I do there is I do a lot of advisory and consulting for the executives at these various companies. And then I also have my hands in all things product. So from being uh, an executive in tech, I remember what I needed and what I didn't have and how much it costed and, and what sucked. And so I bring all of that <laughs> to sales assembly and try to kind of build it into our membership and remember what I needed and then make sure that nobody else in my former position uh, feels like that. So that's kind of high level the mission of what I do. I love it. I, I love it. There's, and there's so much more about you that is really cool, but we won't get into that quite yet. I may just kind of here and there drop it in. Um, I am going to say one word, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm in Chicago and I'm a Chicago girl. We're the best who almost went to Columbia college, but I did not really. 
Almost. It was, okay. it was tough. It was between Columbia and DePaul. And I ended up at DePaul in radio TV film instead of Columbia. Oh my gosh. My, my mom was a piano professor at DePaul for like 20, 25 years. And I, similar to you, I got into Loyola. Um, I actually made it into their theater conservatory. I had to audition for it. It was very, very buttoned mm-hmm. up and super intimidating for, you know, like yes. a 17 year old to go through that. And I got in and I remember there was this like constant, like, you got to stay on top of it. You got to stay in. Like someone could take your spot at any moment. And I was like, it's going to be four years of this, like four years of just like being, a. I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, no. And so I remember I had gotten in, I had met my roommates and I woke up and I woke my mom up at like two o'clock in the morning. And as a mother, now I realize how heinous that was, but I woke my mom <laughs> up at like two o'clock in the morning and I was like, I can't go to Loyola. She's like, what? I'm like, I can't go to Loyola. Like, I can't do it. I was like, all I keep thinking about, I was like, I'm already in a ball of anxiety, just thinking about the fact that like, I could lose my theater placement at any time. And then my future is screwed. And like, I'm going to want to be a homeless person. And I was like, I can't do it. And she was like, okay, Christine, go to bed. Like, we'll talk about it. <laughs> and then I went to Columbia. It was, and I got a lot of kind of cool things out of it. I wound up, you know, spotlighting at a lot of the comedy troops in the city. And I did just a bunch of fun stuff. Oh my gosh. And you have a, you have a background in improv as well as Gina. Am I right? I do. I do. Lush, <laughs> lush. And so that means amongst this us, is we have, so lush. <laughs> we have three, three performers. So we've all been in the theater, right? And I find something really interesting. People often say to me, oh, so are you a failed actress or a failed performer. Now, I actually look at it this way. I see a lot of my friends who are dipping in and out of the theatre world. And I feel it sounds awful. And they're probably listening to this and thinking, Susanna, you bitch. But I actually feel like being in sales makes you a champion, a success, maybe more so than being on stage. I enjoy it more having fun with it than making it a profession. What do you guys think about that? I think you're never done. You know, I think like once a thespian, always a thespian. And I think to that point, it's there's there's no way to fail. You only fail if you keep doing it and you don't love it. You know what I mean? But it's like theater roles in movie, film, and TV, they're they're age agnostic, right? Like if you wanted to go back into it, you always could. And if you love it and you have passion, then it's your art. So like screw anybody who says that. And also what I used to have all of my sellers do and what I recommend is I would I would pay for all of them to take improv classes because I think the best sellers in the world have theater and art backgrounds because it teaches your brain how to work. My mom had me doing theory when I was three years old, not because she thought that I could understand it, but she's like, it teaches your mind how to solve complex issues. Art does that. And so I tell sellers they need to do it. Yeah. And you're doing it for fun in sales. You're, I, I, one thing I think about when you're a paid performer, it can become very intense, whereas we're selling all the time when we want to and how we choose to be, right? Let me just plug. Um, by the time this airs, it'll be too late. But And my creative selling course launches this week, which is used to be called Sell Like a Child and is now called Creative Selling. But it is based on an improv it's based on improv. So this will be my third course launching at Sales Gravy that is improv-based for sales people. Just had to put that shameless plug in there because it seemed like a good time. Do it. Oh my gosh, you had to. That's, in, that's incredible. I mean, I more of that. Like you're hearing me say it now, more of that. Like you can teach people a sales process and you can and you should, but how to think on your feet creatively without getting shaken. Like to me, that's 
morality. That's culture, right? It's like morale drops because I don't know how to handle rejection. Ask anybody in the theater industry if rejection bothers them anymore. Oh my right? gosh. Yes. And this is, this is the link back to Susanna's question about what do we think about this as performers? And then we're, lately, I don't know, lately we've been getting guests on the show that have some level of, of a theatrical background. And you hit it on the head, Christina. Anyone who's been in a, a performance world where they are constantly out auditioning, they are constantly facing rejection. Like if you can't be willing to go audition and be rejected, nine out of 10 times, like you're not going to make it. And similar to you, um, as far as like a rejection piece of it. So when I was going to DePaul uh, and I, uh, I was in radio TV film, but I was also studying at second city conservatory and I was trying to get an agent and I was doing all the things. And I was told I looked too ethnic to get an agent. I wasn't like, what? I, I did not look like Susanna. I didn't look like the blonde American girl. I mean, she's English, but I, I didn't look like a certain look back at that in those days and struggled to get an agent. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to starve to death doing this. I don't think I want to do this. There's probably something else I could do than this. I got on the other side of the camera because of that. But the, the, we're, we constantly go through that as performers. And what it teaches us is you just keep pushing through it and you have mm -hmm. to be fluid that way. And you, you hit it on the head too with... You could teach anybody a process. Like, here's the process, go do it. Here's the system. And I want to talk about how you guys systemize things. If you can't be agile, that's where the failure, that's where the true failure happens. That's how I feel about it, Susanna. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. it. It's so true. I think also true of sports people. Um, can't say sportsmen anymore, can you? Sports people, um, especially in, not on this episode. But, um, you know, I think they've got a great sense of um, resilience because you have to get used to losing before you can win. So it's it's so true. I think whatever, you don't have to be an actor to be in sales. You don't have to be on stage. It definitely helps. But if you've got that immunity to that resilience, it will help. So, yeah. Um, we're, all, we're always on stage, period, as salespeople. Yeah. You learn to be on stage, don't you? You have to learn. So I, so I find it really interesting, Christina, that you had this theatrical background and then got into the sales world, um, working at places like Groupon, based in Chicago, um, Glassdoor. Yeah. I mean, did that make you sing a song, Susanna, when you saw Glassdoor? <laughs> Not this time. You're not getting any songs from me today. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but did I mean like there's? I mean, you've worked for some really cool companies, uh, mm -hmm. and so you went. You had this theatrical background. What got you into sales? So kind of a crazy story, um, as it always is. Nobody is like I always wanted to be in sales. Like nobody says that, right? <laughs> right. And there was like crazy story, weird shit happened, uh, and now here I am. That's like I feel like how everybody gets into this industry. But for me, um, I was all in on theater acting. I wanted to either be on Broadway or I wanted to be on a sitcom. Like these were my dreams since I was a little girl. Like yes. I was a little girl. I used to put on shows for my family and I just, I, I always loved it. And I went to college for Columbia, studied theater and film acting while I was there. Um, and I had done a semester abroad in theater and film acting while I was there. Um, and I had done a semester abroad in LA to meet with agents, understand how it works. And I was all set up to be like, I'm going to graduate, go to LA. I'm going to do it. Like, let's make this happen. And, uh, my mom got sick. Mm. My mom, uh, wound up with cancer, um, oh. 
that she wound up passing away from before I graduated. And then uh, less than a year after that, my dad passed away. Um, And there was me and my older sister and my younger sister, just the three of us um, who were effectively orphaned. Both my parents were artists. So my mom was the pianist of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. My dad was a world-renowned opera singer. Um, They weren't together. Yeah. Yeah. But what we learned from the arts is uh, the arts doesn't pay. The arts doesn't give you insurance. The arts doesn't give you savings uh, or a 401k or a pension. Um, So when my parents passed away, we actually had had nothing, um, had to sell our house and we had to have an estate sale where people came in and like bought my prom dresses, you know, and everything was gone. So had to pick ourselves up really, really quickly. I had a younger sister who was um, 16 at the time and didn't have anywhere to live. And so she first lived with my older sister. And then as soon as I graduated, um, she came to live with me. And then it was just about survive and get her through college and get me doing something in my life that is productive. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to make a lot of money really, really quickly. I now had all these student loans to pay back. I didn't have anything to my name, like literally nothing. I mean, you know, I remember taking extra pieces of toilet paper from Subway, like the sandwich shop, because I didn't have toilet paper. I've slept in a train station because there were weeks where I didn't have a home. I was actually homeless. I had nowhere to go. And I was just on the city on people's couches. And it's just like, there's that level of survival. And then I was like, come on, Christina, like make it mean something. Um, so this was right around 2008 when they were like recruiting people for financial services like crazy, right? It's like nothing like downturn in the economy to make people want to hire more folks in insurance. And so I remember I got an email from MetLife. And they were like, you should come work here. It's commission only. And you pass a bunch of tests and then we'll give you money. And I was like, that sounds great. I'm a great test taker. So in about a week and a half, I got all of my licenses and I started selling insurance. And that was out of complete necessity. And what I learned through that experience was one, I'm really good at selling. And I think it's because I'm a theater person, right? It's like I put those together where I was like, I know how to talk to people. I know how to make them laugh. Um, I didn't like what I was selling. And I didn't always feel like we were aligned. And so what hit me was kind of this morality piece of, I can make a lot of money doing this. I know the ins and outs. I'm a really good test taker. I can figure things out really, really quickly. And I know I'm scrappy as hell, but I don't feel good about wanting to sell people the product that will make me the most money versus be the best for them. Mm. And I was like, so if I'm going to do this, it has to be good for both sides. Like I have to sleep with myself at the end of the day. Like I have to feel good about it. And I have to, I have to do something that is bettering the world or bettering at least the person that I'm talking to. And so because I had sales on my resume, Groupon right around then, like about a year and a half later was hiring massively in Chicago and ramping up. Um, My then boyfriend, now husband's friend got me an interview there and I got hired as an AE at Groupon and then just fell in love with tech and like, I don't know, here I am 13, 14 years later. Wow. Cinderella story. So inspirational. I mean, I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, what, what happened with your parents, but that it left you in, in, in such a vulnerable state. And you think that sort of gave you the energy and drive to really kind of prove yourself? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I had to, I had to make it mean something. Um, you know, it was like you, when, when something like that happens in your life, you have a choice. And I think the first choice for everybody should be feel it because if you don't, you'll feel it later when you don't want to. So it's like when bad stuff happens, feel it and it's okay to feel it and it's okay to be sad. Um, and then make it mean something right now. There's a what now. Right. And so I was like, this is, I knew at the time I was like, this is going to define me, but how, um, how's it going to define me? What am I going to do with it? And how can I, how can I help? 
how can I do something? You know? Yeah. It's just, it's just this moment of what now? And oddly enough, it was weird because I thought that getting rid of the dream, right? Like what I'd always wanted to do would be hard, but it was like the dream changed. Like it changed so quickly and it felt so small. And I realized that what I want to actually do is, is I want to do good in the world some way. I want to better lives one person at a time, right? And like, make it mean something. I want to be somebody that my mother would say she's proud of, you know? So that's what I'm aiming for. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe hone their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGrave University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. I love it. I I think about having gone through that whole theatrical performance world, which I still am in. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of rehearsals right now for a show. I don't know what I was thinking. No, I know what I was thinking. It was a good idea for me to do this as tired as I might be. Um, It's actually forced me to be even better at time management as I've been talking about, because I literally, we have rehearsals six days a week and you carry a full-time job. And we know in sales, there's no such thing as 40 hours. So you got to balance all the things. Uh, But that resilience, you know, you talk about with losing your parents, you know, my, my dad passed away as soon as I graduated from DePaul, like literally three months later. But prior to that, you know, he had been sick most of my, most of my life from like age 12 to 22. And that forced, I had to, like, I had to get a job like at Mm -hmm. 13. And if I wanted to go to college, I had to find a way to pay for it. And I had to have multiple jobs and I had to do whatever it took. I had to do whatever it took to like get into, to pay for college. Um, but you do whatever it takes. And I think there's something about that when you have that early on, that scrappiness that you talk about, and I use the word scrappy all the time, but when you're, when you're put in a scrappy position early in life, I think that makes you such an amazing salesperson because you just, you just do whatever it takes and don't complain about it. On that. Yeah. I mean, on that a question for, for you, Christina and, and Gina, um, Having never been in that unfortunate situation of grief, what kind of advice would you give to our listeners who may be going through something really, really sad, who are in a sales role? Um, what, how, how can we get others to turn it around the, the misery and turn it into something positive? Difficult question. <laughs> well, I mean, because the, the first answer really is feel it. And be okay feeling it. And what's and why I say that's a difficult answer is because a lot of times it's less about 
I don't know how to process this or move forward with it. And it's more about, am I in a working environment that's going to allow me to feel this? Mm -hmm. Am I in a working environment where I'm allowed to go through grief? Am I allowed to miss a number? Am I allowed to take a day off for my own mental health because I'm going through something? How will I be perceived? What does it mean? Um, So I would say the first thing is, let's say that you are in that environment, right? Mm -hmm. And like tech, we know much more likely you're in an environment where you're allowed to be a human being and also a worker, which, you know, should be the bare minimum. And yet today it's like a highlight reel. Um, Feel it first. Mm -hmm. um, Because usually what stops you from being able to progress is this thought of I'm going through this, but I'm going to slap a smile on my face. I'm going to be okay. Right. And everyone comes and tells you how strong you are. Um, And as if, as if strength means not feeling when things are hard and not admitting when they're hard, as if strength means never asking for help or saying I'm not okay. Right. That's not strength. I completely agree. I get you 100%. I was just going to say that. I was going to say, yeah, I echo the feel it. And then before you even said that, I was like, and find someone that you can have as a lifeline. Because I know, and I don't know if you can relate to this, Christina, when my father died. Totally. Death is a weird thing, first of all, for other people. And when you're in it, people don't know what to say. They're weird. They say weird things. They they say zero things. They say stupid things like, oh, you're going to be fine. I'm so sorry. Because they don't know what to say, right? They just don't. And you as the person going through it, to your point, you're processing. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Why is nobody around? Where is everybody? Why is no one reaching mm-hmm. out to me? And it's a very lonely place to be. Uh, I think having gone through some level of therapy right after my dad died was super helpful for me. Uh, but I did experience as you hit it on the head with, um, the work environment that you're in. Right. So when my dad died, I just graduated from DePaul and he actually had a chance to see me perform at second city for, um, for a show for like a student, like a grad show. And I was going, I was in the conservatory at the time. And mentally shut down. Not one person in my class, you know, that you follow along with, you guys are all in the same class in the conservatory. Nobody, including the teacher, ever reached out to me. Ever. And it was, it was such a lonely, horrible feeling. And I'm like, this is supposed to be the improv world that is a world of collaboration and love. And I'm not feeling the love and I'm not feeling the collaboration. And I just dropped out because. I detached. How often does that happen in the work world where there's that support system doesn't exist, whether it's the death of a family member or some other tragedy like 2020 and the impact of that? When you have no, you, you have to be able to provide some level of resource or have some level of emotional intelligence as a leader to support those people to be effective. So Answering that question, Suzanne, on what to do, it's the feel it part. And it's also the reach out and find someone and don't try to do it all yourself. Because we know that emotions are contagious. And as salespeople, even if you say everything is fine, I'm good, I got this, there's something bubbling in you that you can't see that other people can feel. And that's going to impact your sales. Well, that grief isn't linear. Most things are not linear. Um, but grief isn't linear. And I think what you're hitting on, which is a huge point, is that especially in a professional setting, we treat people going through grief like it's linear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting a lot of love. But after that, like, could we talk about your pipeline? 
You know what I mean? And it's like, but what we know of grief, I mean, my mother now passed away 15 years ago. We just passed the 15 year anniversary uh, a week ago. Um, and I burst into tears because I thought about her and I thought about how tragic it is that she never got to meet my husband or my son who looks just like her and has her hands. And I was like, she never got to see that. And I burst into tears 15 mm-hmm. years later. Yeah. And that's what grief does is you have all the support in the beginning when actually, I don't know when you're, I wasn't ready for it. Like people were like, no, I was like, I don't, I was like, I feel like I'm spinning. I barely cried the first couple of weeks after losing my mom. Yes. And then my, I like, I barely emoted anything because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like watching her casket lower. I was like, this is wild. Like surreal, surreal. surreal. Couple months later, that's when I felt it and no one was there. Yeah. No. They, yeah, you're, you're right. It's so not linear and they go away and then it, it sits, sets in and you're like, Hey, where'd everybody go? Right. Right. And then you're afraid to mention it, right? Six months later, if you're having a bad productivity month, maybe it's because you lost somebody dear to you and that's detrimental to your mental health. And you don't want to, and you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want them to think you're weak. Exactly. And it's like, oh, that was six months ago. Aren't you okay? That was a year ago. That was three years ago. That was four years ago. Right. Like, oh, you're fine. Right. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, we have this work to do. Right. It's, it's understanding how humans process grief. We forget that people are people sometimes uh, in business. It's that elephant in the room, isn't it? And often people, they want to say something. They don't know how. Um, how to approach it. And just as you said, very much so for organizations to make sure that they're dealing with their employees in the right way and giving them that space. And you mentioned that you feel that that's given you the energy to do what you're doing now. And no doubt, no doubt, just looking online that you would have made them very proud. I mean, what would you say that you are most proud of that you've, that you've achieved? I've actually never really thought about anything as like an achievement or being really proud of. Like, I guess it's kind of like, I guess I haven't even, I haven't thought of that even. I mean, I, I think it's weird to say, I don't know. I think I, I, I've never thought of anything that I've done in the realm of just like, I've achieved this, I've done this. Um, I think it's just the ability to do the next thing, right? It's like, I got here and I'm doing this and I'm bringing these people with me and I have a beautiful family and an incredible life. Um, and I think my biggest achievement would be that if she were here right now, um, I think, I think she would be proud. I think my dad would be proud. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm living in their honor and I'm, and biggest thing is I'm going to make sure that I'm here for my son, (laughs) you know, like, like to me, like being, being healthy mentally and physically, um, telling him who his grandparents were that he doesn't know. And like having the memory live on, it's like, my achievement is just the fact that I'm here and my biggest achievement will be years from now when Mm -hmm. I didn't waste it. And when I did something really good for somebody other than just me, like that'll be the achievement. And I think what strikes me about what you said, you didn't just go into sales to sell. You wanted to make sure that you were doing something that was good for others. And how, how do you, how do you tell us a bit more about how you help organizations um, with their, with their sales process? Yeah. So what's interesting is we all know that tech companies have a lot of things they need all the time. And sometimes that is rooted down to the individual. Um, in order to satisfy those things, you need time, you need money, and you need resources. Um, often of which, especially companies early on in their scaling phase, 
they, they don't have all three of those. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even have one of those, right? So it's like $1 for a company and they're even like ABC series stages. $1 is I could hire somebody. I could invest this in my product. I could market this, or I could buy a tool to help my existing teams perform better, but I have just $1 and I need to do all of those things. And so what do I pick? And so what sales assembly does is we partner with our companies to provide whatever they need while they're scaling. If that's training and developing their people, we do that. If it's helping them actually hire, onboard, and ramp their teams, we help them do that. If it's providing advisory and strategy or helping consult on building a piece of their business, we do that. So we actually partner with each individual employee across the revenue organization, and we help them scale based on what they need. I think that's huge. Training, certifications, advisory, everything. What you, you said, one of the things about taking on this role with sales assembly is that in your previous roles, you can you could really appreciate the things that you needed mm-hmm. as, as that sales individual. And that's something that it sounds like sales assembly kind of fills in the gap for that. What were some of those things for you that you're like, if we just had this, that now sales assembly solves those problems? The biggest gap for individual contributors in general is is training that evolves as they do. Um, you know, it's like you can bring in big companies to do one big training for your team or roll out one big methodology, and that's great. But then the onus is on you to continue to grow and develop that. And as now you just hired a hiring class of forty people, none of whom went through your half a million dollar training. And now what do you do? You do another half a million dollar training. Um, what if your product doesn't fit that anymore? You know, so it's this idea of like this constant evolving level of growth. And what I always wanted was to be able to know that I had the assets and resources to find the person I wanted to hire, hire them, get them ready to do the job, get them performing in the job, get them ready to be promoted and move on up, right? It's this level of support, each area where my employees were, where that was always lacking. Maybe it was a tool we didn't have that we needed. Maybe it was training that they didn't have. Maybe it was training that we provided, but it didn't hit the mark. Right. What we used to hear all the time from my account managers who were basically growth sales reps is they're like, our onboarding is awesome, but it's super new business focused. Are there going to be any sessions about us? And we were like, right, we have a super lean team. Are we going to build a secondary entire onboarding for account managers when we're mostly hiring AEs right now? And who's going to do that? And how much mm. is it going to cost? And where are we going to pull it from? Right. So it's like, you have to make those decisions all the time about everything. Um, you know, one team is struggling with objection handling. The other team is struggling with discovery, right? So it's like, as a company, yeah. where are you going to put the resource, right? What if there's multiple people on each team who are struggling with very different things? You're going to train the entire team. You're going to survey each person individually. What are you going to do? So it's all of those things where it's like on a tactical day-to-day basis, um, it's hard and it's costly and sometimes impossible. And that's what we're trying to solve. Ooh, that that's, I, I hear that a lot. Like I experienced that a lot in training sales teams. Like I'm experiencing that right now with a client that we we did all kinds of training to onboard and like give them all this content. Um, and now because they're they're such an awesome company to work with because they they're innovative enough and progressive enough, they're like, all right, we need now we now need to focus on the account managers. Let's do the next piece because the focus has to be on them and a little bit of repetition in the training, but just another layer yeah. just for that, for that group, what would your advice be to companies that they know they need to do that, but they don't know how to find the money and the resources to do that? Like, how do they, how do they take that next step? If it's a gap 
that's going to prevent your teams from being successful and prevent you to revenue, there is no excuse. You have to fix it or it's going to hurt you. Like that's the cold, hard reality where if you're going to onboard a bunch of people onto your team who don't have what they need from the get-go, then you're going to see that in your dollars, or you're going to see it in your logo attrition. You're going to see it in your revenue retention. You're going to see that somewhere. So first is acknowledging it and doing what a lot of companies need to do more of, which is where are our gaps? Where are we leaking? Where are we not providing our employees with the resources that they need to get better? And also doing that broad stroke, right? Like we talk so much about the sales teams and of course they're important, right? They're the revenue engine, but is your revenue operations team getting plenty of opportunities to learn and train and get better? Like, do they feel like they have the same investment from the company for their own growth that the other teams do? How about your marketing team? How about your HR team? Um, How about client success, right? So it's like focusing on all of the elements of the revenue organization is also key, right? Because it's like the sellers are going to get the focus first and everyone else gets what's left. That may be what you have to do out of necessity, but you have to acknowledge it with them and let them know, right? We have an onboarding, like we used to say this, we like our onboarding is super new business focused. There's not a lot there for growth. So here's what we're going to do. Get what you can out of the onboarding. It's super helpful for you as a growth seller. And then we're going to fill in the gaps. Yes. Right. When you're on the job, we're going to fill in the gaps and we acknowledge it. So they knew. So then people would stop telling me after I would hire them and come in and be like, that really wasn't relevant. Right. I was like, I just set you up for that. And I'm so sorry. Cause I know that I know it's not relevant and I'm putting you in it blindly. And now you have to uncomfortably come to me and be like, so when do I learn my job? Yeah. So it's like, get ahead of that. And I was like, you learn your job now, like right now on the job is what it's going to be until, until we can do something better. I can't think of a single company in sales that wouldn't find this useful, but especially after COVID, there are a lot of startups kind of getting their feet back on the ground, lack of budgets, growing pains. I always call it growing pains um, when companies are maybe they've done really well to the first phase, but then they've got to get to the next phase, but they haven't got the personnel to do it and they don't have the training. They might have been lucky with the staff that they've had. So I can completely see um, see how, how this would be really useful. So yeah, I, how's it gone for you? How, how long have you guys been going? Sales Assembly has been around for about five years now. I joined in June of 2020. Nice. Um, so I've been there now for just about um, a year and a half. It's going incredible. Um, it's incredible because we have so much runway. And to your point, I mean, COVID opened a lot of doors for us, not because COVID helped the business, but because I think COVID forced companies to look at their weak spots. Yeah. And when they looked at their weak spots and realized how few resources there are for all of them, right? Like there's a lot of individual solutions for things. Um, And we don't really replace any of those things. Like, right, we're not going to say do sales assembly or, you know, get get outreach, right? Like outreach is an incredible tool. You should have that, right? Like we're going to help make sure your sellers utilize that properly, right? So it's like there's nobody who is looking at kind of the overall holistic company health from an individual employee standpoint. And the runway there is huge. Um, and I'm lucky enough to work with, um, partners and founders in the business who believe in me and and listen to my vision. And we have a lot of fun conversations about what we will do and what we can do. Um, you know, but it's rooting and making a difference. And, and the other big thing that I do is I have a lot of passion toward diversifying tech. Um, you know, I have my own podcast where I feature what I call the female icons of tech and bringing up their stories and their experiences. And, there's all these incredible people who are working behind the scenes who don't have the opportunity for a stage. And I want to provide that. Um, and so I, uh, you know, equity and equality is really, really big to me and elevating voices that don't have a stage. 
Um, we created a women's network that's a part of Sales Assembly. It's got over 700 women in it that's role agnostic, and it's all women working in tech. And it's called the Women's Circle because when you're in here, your role doesn't matter. You're a woman working in tech, and now you're a part of this group, and this group is going to change the world, right? And it's this idea that, like, using it for something, right? I, I keep saying, like, make it mean something, you know? But it's like, I'm in a position now where I'm a female working in tech and I have a voice and I need to do something with that. I need to bring other people with me. I don't want to, I don't want to be up here alone. Everybody just come with me and then move past me. And I would love to watch you move past me. It's, it's that. Well, that's so much, that's so much uh, um, an improv mindset. It's so much a yes and mindset about collaboration and bringing people with you and go ahead and pass me up. My job is to make you look good. That's what we do. I mean, this is a very much a big mindset thing that, that everybody should have no matter what their role is. Yeah. I believe that too. I mean, I think it would be a better place if it were, but you know, there's, there's ego that comes into it. And then there's fear of like, you know, Oh, I'm your, I'm your boss. And, you know, and it's like, I, I believe that leaders, I've, I've said this before on, on my podcast, but like, you should be the soil, not the ceiling. Like you're planting people to grow as high as they can. You're not the ceiling. It's not, oh, you're under my wing, right? I love like, that. No, you the soil, <laughs> not the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. I've never a, I'm them. writing that down. Same. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, you know, I, I've never promoted somebody and, and not thought to myself, if I reported to you one day, I would love it. Like I would love it. And people were like, oh, I could never report to you. I was like, why? You should like, you should like your goal. Like I am not the limit for, I am not the top. Like I'm just a part of it. Like exceed past me, go be a CEO somewhere, hire me to come work on your team and do menial work. I don't care. Right. But it's like, we're all just kind of in this journey together. But I think I don't, I don't know that we can tear down the existing professional ego that exists in this idea of a land grab for titles and a Mm -hmm. land grab for there's only so much room at the top. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. I think we, we've been conditioned, we've been conditioned to go grab that brass ring. And I learned that years ago. I'm, I'm a couple of years older than both of you. And I think one of the things I learned was where, you know, what's my secret sauce? Where do what what am I really good at? That's where I should be. And mm. do I necessarily need to be the CEO? And they're done that. Then they're done that and then decided to go backwards. Mm. Right. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I want to live in the space that this is the space where I excel and I'm going to bring the most value to an organization and be okay with that. There's definitely this expectation in life, isn't there, that it starts in school, that we are we are praised for being all-rounders. So woohoo, you're an all-rounder. You can do maths, English and physics and music, you know. Um, but actually, what we should be doing is saying to our kids, this is what you do really well. Now become a master of that instead of trying to be everything. And I think there's that expectation that needs to change and it starts in education. But that's probably for another podcast because I can go on about this for a long time. <laughs> but my child's about to be in kindergarten. I feel like I'm going to be right there with you. It's like I, th- this point that you're making though, about like career growth. We talk about things not being linear. Like you, one could say you took a step forward, right? You hit CEO and then you were like, yes. And now what? Like now I'm going to go do something else. And that's the other thing that we're taught is terrifying is like, like what 18 year old knows what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Right? Like. Like this idea of you got to pick your career and like, that's it. You got to pick your career. That's what you're going to do. Like, 
that can't, that could be it. It doesn't have to be it. Like you don't have to work at one company for your entire life. You don't have to do one thing for your entire life. You can change roles. You can change companies. You can go work abroad. You can take a year off. You can live your life because that's what it's really all about. So it's like this idea, even of just backwards and forwards, it's like flipping it on its head where it's like, we're all just trying to make it till tomorrow. Like right now we're all just trying to get through COVID. Right. And like, when that's over, we're going to think about the next thing that like, we're just trying to do. But it's like, yeah, my son's going into kindergarten. I think to myself, like the archaic thinking of like, man, I wonder what he's going to be thinking. Like, is it going to be this one thing or this one thing? And I'm like, should I think like that? Or think like, is he going to be happy? Right. Versus the thing. Yes. Is he going to be a good person? Is he going to feel fulfilled? Is he going to have community when he needs it? Um, Am I bringing a good person into the world? Yeah. Like, here's here's what I've learned. um, And we're going to get, it's time to start wrapping up. But one thing I've learned is you don't have to have one career choice of like, what am I going to be? Like, my attitude is, what am I going to be next? Because I have had so many changes through my career path. I'm like, what's the next? thing I'm going to do. That's exciting Mm. to me. Uh, But that also comes from that risk. You know, I'm not risk adverse, which is part of the improv, which is part of being in theater of like, I can't wait for the next thing, but we've also been trained to fail. Like that's in the DNA is like failure being like a cool thing. I love that book. The power of now is an awesome book. It's like, let's like the more I fail, sometimes I fail on purpose or I break things on purpose to see like, what can we create from that? So, you know, go, go be anything you want to be and change it often. I so agree. Before we wrap up, Gina, can I give my, would you rather question to our guests? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I have no idea what this question is, but bring it. It's not sales focused, but Christina, I am obsessed with these at the moment. And I picked a really good one. (laughs) I picked a really good one. Would you rather bite 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Bite them? Fight them? Yeah. Oh, fight Fight. them or bite them? Bite. (laughs) Like with my teeth, bite them? No. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses? I'm I'm like, I don't want to bite anybody. Um. (laughs) If you had to, if you had to do one. I sort of feel like I would pick the bunch of little horses because being in a field surrounded by many horses is like a dream of mine. (laughs) Um, Because horses are amazing. Um, And I feel like little tiny horses, their hooves couldn't quite kick you hard enough to make a dent. So like I'd fight the little horses, but really I would just entice them (laughs) to be my minion. And they would be, they would be a part of my revolution. So I'd pick, I would pick the 100 duck-sized horses. Now I want to see a duck-sized Great, great answer. And we learned something new about you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is awesome. Great, great new question for this show, Susanna. Um, I've got a more serious question for you. If people want to connect with you or learn more about Sales Assembly, what are the best ways to do that? Uh, If you want to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn. Christina Brady. You'll see me in a white jacket looking like I'm just going to look very professional. Um, you can connect with me there. I'm also me, Christina Brady on Facebook for people who want to keep it a little more casual. If you want to learn about uh, sales assembly, you can visit us at salesassembly.com or you can just reach out to me, Christina at salesassembly.com and I'll be happy to fill you in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. What an awesome show. This was so much fun. Hey, thank you, Warners, for listening to this episode of the Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy, myself, Gina Chamarco, and Susanna Gray-Jones, part of the British Invasion here at the Women Your Mother Warns You About. For, for more about this show, check us out at womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com or all the socials were out there. Or for more information about Sales Gravy, check out salesgravy.com or salesgravy university where we have all kinds of amazing courses to take you to the next level as a salesperson. Uh, uh, Susanna, do you have anything else to add to, to this show on, on our saying goodbye? Farewell. Not today, but we loved having you, Christina. You, I would love to have you back. Please come back. And you just say the time. And I assume the place is right here. Yes. You say the time. Yes. We'll be there. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Warners. No, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses?